you're familiar with John chapter 4, Jesus went out of his way to arrive at a place called Samaria. And there he met this person we refer to as the woman at the well. One day we'll get to meet her and know her real name. But simply to us, the woman at the well, a woman that had a great need, and Jesus, of course, met that need. But in the midst of his conversation with her, he teaches us something about worship. And I call your attention to verse 19 of John chapter 4. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, Believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This woman brings up the subject of worship. It's interesting that Jesus did not bring up the subject. She did. In verse number 20, she she said, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. Now, her worship was a faulty worship. We realize that as Jesus responds to her in verse 22, Ye worship, ye know not what. So she had a worship but it was a faulty worship. And Jesus points out in verses 23 and again in verse 24 that true worship is not two different things, but it has two different components, spirit and truth. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, worship must be spiritual And it must be truthful. Worship is a spiritual expression toward the one who is revealed as truth in God's word. Now I want you to look with me at three integral and interactive parts to worship as we find it here in this passage. First of all, we see the command to worship. The command to worship. Notice the word must in verse 24. Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, John's gospel has three musts in it. The first one, if you want to look back to John chapter 3, is in verse 7. It's the must of the new birth. In verse 7 of John 3, he's talking to Nicodemus, and he said, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. There's the first must in the gospel of John. You must be born again. There is no other way to heaven, Nicodemus. You've got to have a new birth. How many of you agree that there's only one way to heaven? That's through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If a person is going to go to heaven, they must have a born-again experience. They must have a new birth. I even I am the Lord beside me. There is no Savior. There aren't multiple Gospels. 
The gospel is not a smorgasbord. It's not a buffet. It's not eclectic. In, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul declares the gospel. In verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and by which also you are saved. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, how that he was buried, and how that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. The gospel is very explicit. The gospel is single. It is one thing. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no other gospel that saves. In fact, in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, Paul said, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which I have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As I said before, verse 9, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. That's strong language. Paul said, if Gabriel, if the angel Gabriel comes to this pulpit this afternoon and preaches some other way to heaven other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you should curse him and walk out the back door. Because there is only one gospel. And if a person's going to go to heaven, they must have a born-again experience. They must have a new birth. So that's the first must in John's gospel. Then we see the second must in chapter 3. And verse 14, it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The must of the cross. Everybody has to have a new birth experience to go to heaven. The must of the new birth. How is the new birth possible? The cross. Christ had to be lifted up. He had to die. Jesus could not merely have fainted on the cross and revived again in the cold tomb. He had to die. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Some people preach that verse as we need to magnify Christ. We need to lift him up. We need to, we need to glorify him and that will draw men. To, no, no, that's not what it's talking about there. That's what we're talking about in the conference, but that's not what that verse talks about. Because the next verse said, this he said, signifying by what death he should glorify God. So when in John 3 here, verse 14, it's the must of the cross. If Jesus Christ doesn't go to that cross, if he does not die, if he does not pay for the penalty of our sins, there is no new birth. So everybody has to have a new birth to get to heaven. And the only way you can have a new birth is through the must of the cross. Jesus had to die. He had to pay the penalty of our sin. There's no other way to God but through the cross. It's a must. But now in chapter 4, he comes to the must of worship. In verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, this is non-negotiable. There aren't other options. The word must indicates there's only one way to worship. Just as there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through a new birth. You must be born again. 
There's only one way that you can be born again, and that's by the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again. You must come through the cross. Now you must worship in spirit and in truth. There's no other way. Just as there's no other way to get to heaven, there's no other way by which salvation can be provided, you must worship in spirit and truth. Worship must have these two components. There's no negotiation about it. It's a must. So that leads us to, secondly, the context of worship. Proper worship is a result of the new nature. You see, the must rules out anything in the flesh because must indicates it has to be in the spirit. You must worship in spirit and in truth. So that must of the spirit rules out the flesh. If you're going to worship, you can't worship in the flesh because you must worship in the spirit. And as Paul said in Galatians 5, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are the contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Would you like to worship? Yes, I would like to worship. Well, you can't do it in the flesh. Because you must worship in the spirit. And the spirit and the flesh are at odds with each other. They are contradictory. So if we're going to worship God's way, it must be in the spirit. The more spiritual our worship is, the less attractive it will be to our flesh. Let me say it again. The more spiritual our worship is, the less attractive it will be to our flesh. Because you can't have both. So if you got a little bit of flesh mixed in with your worship, you're not really worshiping. And the more spiritual we get at worship, the more we get God's spirit in worship, the more we're surrendered to his spirit, the less attractive that worship is going to be to our flesh. Modern worship today often focuses on what pleases our flesh. How many times have we said, I like that song? You see, our flesh is attracted to what's beautiful or sensual or entertaining. But the Bible says we're not to make provision for the flesh. Would that not include our worship? Since you can't worship God in the flesh. In Psalm 89 and verse 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all that is about him. Is that true of our worship? That in our worship, all are in reverence to him? Or is there an element of the flesh? We are the circumcision, Paul said in Philippians 3, 3, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. 
Guys, do you preach in the confidence of the flesh? If we do, it's not good preaching. We have no confidence in the flesh. We're to make no provision for the flesh. The flesh cannot be a part of this. Proper worship can only come from a person who has a new nature, who is spiritual and is now yielded to the spirit because worship must be in spirit and in truth. Then proper worship is relegated to the redeemed. It's interesting, Israel, the nation of Israel, never did worship, the, never did worship Jehovah when they were in Egypt. They couldn't. They were in Egypt. If you read Exodus chapter 2, you come to verses 23, 24, and all you, all, you, all you see in the children of Israel when they were in Egypt was sighing, groaning, crying. But after they went through the Red Sea, Exodus 15, verse 1, it says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord. If you study Exodus 15, it's a song of redemption. Egypt is a picture of the world. It's a picture of where we are before we get saved. They come through the Red Sea. They're delivered from Egypt. They come through the Red Sea. And the first thing they do is sing. Why? Because they're redeemed. Proper worship is relegated to the redeemed. A song of redemption. Unsaved people know nothing about proper worship. They groan. A lot of the music I hear in the world is just a lot of groaning. It's a lot of noise. A lot of crying. But it's not the song of the redeemed. Because they can't worship God in spirit. Because they're not spiritual. Proper worship is rooted in the heart. Worship is a redeemed heart occupied with God. Expressing itself in adoration and thanksgiving to him only. It's an interesting thing in this song of the redeemed in Exodus 15. If you study that, you'll find that the the phrase the Lord in that song is mentioned 16 times. The words he or him referring to the Lord are found seven times. The words thou, thee, and thine also referring to the Lord, are found 20 times. So in this song of redemption, this song of worship now of the redeemed, God is spoken of 43 times. Might be interesting to compare some of our modern songs. In Matthew 15, Jesus said, this people draw nigh to me with their mouth, And with their lips they honor me, but their heart is far from me. Next verse, but in vain do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. See, we've taken God out of worship, and it's all about men. And you can't worship God in the flesh. It's got to be spiritual worship. It's a must. Proper worship 
is the occupation of the heart with a known God. And everything that attracts the flesh and its senses detracts from proper worship. Which leads us finally to the communication of worship. Now we must distinguish between two types of worship because if there's only one way to worship, then there's a, then there's a wrong way to worship. If there's a right way to worship, if there's a must of worship, then there must be a must not of worship. So we've got to distinguish between two types of worship. The first I'll call solical worship. Solical. If you type it, it'd probably have a red line under it. Solical worship is emotional worship. Music and preaching that makes me feel good. Atmosphere created and designed to move emotion. Solical worship. In other words, it affects my senses. It affects the empirical. It affects what I can see humanly, what I can feel humanly, what I can hear humanly. And it's flesh and not spirit. Contrast to the solical worship is spiritual worship. A quiet, reverential occupation of the worshiper with God himself. Preaching, as we saw in the first hour, must point people to Christ. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Sirs, we would see Jesus. Philip opened his mouth, preached unto him, Jesus. Paul preached Christ crucified. In other words, preaching, I think we all agree, must point people to Christ. So why then should not the rest of the service point people to Christ? In other words, if the preaching is to be spiritual, if the preaching is to uplift spirit and truth, we, 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 we approach God through the word of God, truth, and we, we preach him uh, as Christ, the Savior, why is it then that we allow other parts of our worship service to honor and magnify the flesh. So Jesus instructs this woman that she must worship in spirit and truth. So what happens? Well, look at verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee, Am he? In verse 9, she asks, How? In verse 11, she asked, Whence? In verse 20, she asked, Where? But now, all of those questions are answered. She said, I want Christ. I want Christ. When Messiah comes, who's called the Christ, He'll answer these things. He'll answer my questions. And Jesus said, the one speaking to you is he. And immediately all these questions were answered in him. Nothing else was needed. He was enough. 
It was not a mountain. It was not about a temple. It was not about Samaria anymore. It wasn't about Jerusalem. She had found Jesus. And that was all that was needed. No more questions. What more was there? Nothing. We're complete in him. And the question we must ask ourselves today in modern worship is why do we want anything but him? Why would we not just want him? Is he not enough? Do we have to have the flesh to worship? Do we have to have that which appeals to what our questions are? Or is he enough? If we lift him up, that should be enough. Because proper worship is all about him. It's non-negotiable. It's a must. You can only get to heaven with a new birth experience. That new birth experience is only possible through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the only way you and I can worship is in spirit and in truth. Anything less is deficient worship.